is the New Limestone Review podcast. New Limestone Review is a literary journal from the University of Kentucky's MFA Creative Writing Program. Here, we interview writers and talk about reading, writing, and more. Candrelli is the author of Water I Won't Touch, forthcoming in 2021 from Copper Canyon, All the Gay Saints, forthcoming 2020, and What Runs Over, Yes, Yes Books, 2017. What Runs Over was a 2017 Lambda Literary finalist for Transgender Poetry and a finalist for the 2018 American Book Fest Best Book Award in LGBTQ Nonfiction. All the Gay Saints was the winner of the 2018 Saturnalia Book Prize, selected by Natalie Diaz. They are published or forthcoming in Poetry, The American Poetry Review, Academy of American Poets, Tri-Quarterly, Puerto del Sol, Bettering American Poetry, The Boston Review, and many others. If you could just share any of your process in overcoming that like fear, maybe, that would have kept you from writing honestly, um, and, you know, did that alienate any members of your family? How did you kind of, um, I guess, overcome that kind of like voice in your head that was, maybe I shouldn't do this? Because it, it is a really courageous thing to choose to do that, and an important thing, and if you don't mind sharing with us. Yeah. Um, I think by the time I started writing the actual book, um, my my patience was up with the entire situation. So there was a, a touch of anger that was like motivating the book in a really productive way um, throughout the drafting process. And then I think editing came with reflection and time um, and modulating my tone for the sake of my family. Because believe it or not, the book was less modulated in tone in the, in the first version. Um, and in, in terms of alienation, I, I think the, the people who would have been most alienated by it um, are not in my life, which is kind of like a permission slip that not everyone has. Yeah. Um, and then I think, too, my, my life in writing is really exciting for a lot of my family members who are not always portrayed in the most positive light in the book. So... I think they're just excited for like the family to be doing something new. Yeah. Right? Like that's awesome. Yeah. So even though some of the pages of the book are a little scathing, they're like, This is neat. <laughs> this is great. Wow. Look at our family. <laughs> so I there's a touch of that as well. I also I asked my my paternal grandmother not to read the book. Uh and she just honored that. She was like, can I read the second one? I was like, sure. Yeah. So I, I think uh, some some luck involved with grandma there. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, don't read it. You won't. <laughs> you won't like you it. You just won't like it. <laughs> you yeah. just won't like it. Mm-hmm. That's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think you just got to do it. Like a Band-Aid. Yeah. And then you can just move on to different stuff. Because it will be like a roadblock until you move through it. And then you have access to all sorts of other emotions, right? After after the anger is kind of out. 
Like my second book is just love poems. And that could not have happened, you know, before What Runs Over. So now it's like, like the stoppers come off and then you have access to different, um, different emotions. Yeah. So sort of similar to that question, but not exactly. Um, I've read that you've spoken in other interviews about like the concept of omission and also about like the ways that people commodify trauma. And, um, so like, like I've noticed in your work, like moments where you're like, um, like actively being like, like, no, this is my story and you can't have it sort of thing. And like, I really dig that. Um, but I guess, um, like my question is, um, like, do you think that there's, um, and like you keep saying like, like I had to write this book and thing, things like, do you think that there's a balance where you can just like get it all out and like, let it all hang on the page without like, like, I guess a particular audience, like using you and like, is that just a, a, a thing no. of like revision or like, what is that like? I feel like people are gonna use, um, use us until we have like abolished capitalism. <laughs> I really, yeah. like I, I feel used. Yeah. Um, I don't feel angry. Mm. I, I feel like it's a, it's a hard, I love my press, right? But mm. like there was this moment and and all of this evidence behind it that was like, do you just like me because I'm sad? <laughs> like, is this what this is? Like, I'm just another sad trans person, and like, that's the narrative that we want to cash in on. Yeah. That's popular right now, right? And then when I wrote the second book and was sending it out, I was like, nobody's gonna like it. It's about trans people being happy. But then, like, wait, the trans people being happy trend is starting. Great. The third one one is just like normal. Like every day we just get up and do shit like everyone else. Is that going to be trendy? Well, I I really hope that like trans people just being normal people is going to be normal one day and like trendy. Let's bring it in. Bring it. Let's get it trendy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I don't think that was very articulate, but. Yeah, you worry about being yeah. used when yeah. you put any story of trauma out there, or that mm-hmm. it will be manipulated, or um, that people only like you because you're sad. Yeah, that's a really sad prospect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, but I don't think that's the case. That's right good. Now. <laughs> Not articulate, but it's good. Um. <laughs> So, just talking about poetry, um, why do you feel that poetry is a useful vessel for you? You know, when you wrote What Runs Over, you qualified it as a memoir in verse, not a memoir. But even with your next collection, which is forthcoming in 2020, yeah, uh, March, <laughs> um, which I'm guessing is not a memoir in verse, it's not. It is not. Um, what about poetry makes it the carrier that functions most effectively for you to be able to communicate to your reader, versus another genre, perhaps, or um, even the the memoir versus the memoir in verse for you? I think concision probably is the most important thing to me like this is it's a memoir but imagine if it was a memoir 
right? Like how long and sad would that be? Let's just get in and out, like 80 <laughs> pages, um, with a lot of white space and room to breathe instead of what would have been super unrelenting to write as like a, a mainstream prose situation. Um, yeah, I love white space. Like I love the line break as a tool. Like it's super, it's still exciting. You know, like, you ever date someone for a while and then it's not exciting to date them anymore? Well, it's still exciting to date the line break. Yeah. Um, so I'm really in love Marriage with Marriage material. Still. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I already got a ring. <laughs> um, but, and that's not to say that I don't love essays. I, I want to walk back into essays, but I want to, like walk back into essays knowing that it doesn't have to be about my life, which I've never done before, right? Like, all of my writing has been so wholly um, centered on me and my narrative, which I think is politically important, um, just because I'm a rural, trans, poor person. Um, but now I'm really excited, like, no, I want to I write an essay about Dale Earnhardt. I want to, and I'm going to, and it doesn't have to be only about me. It can be about him. So I'm excited for this new, like, new time in my uh, writing life. My heart rate just rose you about ten counts. <laughs> you love we, we had the that uh, sticker on the back of the car. You know, the, the pickup truck growing to your family, up. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So now I want to write about that and transfer. We had <laughs> the blanket on the back of the couch. The whole thing, and yeah. then the whole the whole country was in mourning, right? Like, yeah. When he passed, it was just mm-hmm. it was intense. I get chills like thinking about how much that that ripped everything apart yeah mm-hmm. totally yeah. wild yeah Dale R.I.P. <laughs> but to get back to it poetry like it has a wide audience I think that's exciting like only poets read poetry right but like there's a wide but it feels wide when you're doing it because there's so many different manifestations of the line and accessibility and I love thinking about that all the time right like how accessible is this like what is, in terms of rhetoric like what actually is the demographic makeup of my audience based on my line breaks mm-hmm. or like just syntax and so on and so on so I, it's a really interesting thing yeah um so in What Runs Over, I sort of found that setting was like almost this wild character in a lot of the poems. The yeah, <laughs> the mountains uh, is a is a character basically, and um, I focus a lot on setting in my um, work too. I'm a fiction writer, but um, it like plays a huge part. And a lot of times in you know What Runs Over, it's like very hostile and you yeah, know like the hills have eyes. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like very frightening. And so I wonder, like in the in the upcoming book, um, which you've described as like very happy like love poems and um i wonder if uh like setting plays uh, a role in that as much or at all or um if if your focus was on other things yeah it doesn't focus on on setting um which i think is really interesting what it does do is focus on my body as a landscape so I guess that is the setting. Yeah. Like, the setting is the body. Um, 
but there is no mountain. Yeah. Right? There is a, there's like a nomenclature that runs through it, and it's my future husband wife. Yeah. Um, so that's like a nomenclature that becomes like the home of the book. Um, and that is my partner, and that is a character, and there's development and conversation there. Um, but yeah, I, that is a good question because yeah. there, it's kind of ethereal. Right. Right? Like, it, there's no no mountains right like the ceilings are high yeah right exactly. like it's and now and now there's a lake but where's the there's mm-hmm. no setting yeah just bodies can i actually follow up with my next question because i kind of um so i was reading this other interview and you said this quote that like i resonated with like far too deeply probably i was like like anxious chills you said I can really feel my body existing that's what I'm often thinking about keeping my body alive about finding ways to make it thrive and I like paced around my apartment trying to come up with a good question to ask you like pertaining to this quote because like I just felt it so much like as a trans non-binary person and I was like like I think about my body all the time and like I can really feel it and I was like yeah I can really feel like it. really it feel it really important politically that you yeah be present with feeling it yeah because you don't know how long it's gonna last right 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 and like so you have to be you have to be present with it and you have to want it to thrive because you know we are we are finite it feels mm-hmm. like on the, on the earth like, until things change whatever that means like i feel in danger so i'm gonna have a good fucking time yeah right because <laughs> i have to exactly that's what a loss if i did right? yeah yeah I just jumped in there, but... Yeah, I was basically just going to be... going to ask, like, is, is that frightening to you? Because it's really frightening to me. That we're just Like, that we just, thinking, like, feel just our, feeling our, body. our bodies so much. I... After I got top surgery, I, um... Like, you can feel your heart. Like, when you touch... You're like, oh! It's right there. It's right there. It's... I am closer with my hand than I've ever been to my heart and like I, it's so, so odd and beautiful but I do it all the time now I'm like <laughs> yeah, look at you go <laughs> um, yeah I, I think it's beautiful to have a body yeah it's really neat and I, I I've changed mine which is really empowering like I don't like no matter what you do whether it's like a tattoo or a piercing or um, you know, gender reassignment surgery, or whatever you want to do. Like, if you change your body, like that, is the truest manifestation of agency that I've felt. You know, and wonky things happen along the way, right? Like, you, you get your double mastectomy and you're all zonked out, and you don't have your glasses on because you because they won't give them to you, and you can't see, and you can't talk, and your family's not there, and the woman is misgendering you in the in the hospital. Right, and then they're all misgendering you in the hospital, and you can't talk, and you can't see. Um, I don't know what the. It's a bumpy road, um, but it is a manifestation of agency to change your body if you so desire. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say something else, but I lost it. I was thinking about that. Fucking 
bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she really grinded yeah. my gears. <laughs> yeah. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Context clues. Yeah. I mean, like, Context. open your eyes, pay attention. Yeah. It's songs. Um, I do forget what else I was going to say. So well, it'll come back. We'll get there. We'll come back we'll to it. Yeah. Well, in talking about agency and reclaiming agency, um, something that I was reading when I was looking into other interviews with you is when you were talking about surrealism as a vessel to reclaim agency for a time when you didn't have any, um, not like a coping mechanism, more like a recoding. And I wanted to ask you in this interview to elaborate on that. Um, and to talk to us about how you use those surrealist images or dreamlike sequences to do that in your own work, which we saw in What Runs Over, but I'm also curious if you're continuing to do that in your work today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there were some really painful memories that I wanted in the, in the book, um, and that was my way of doing it, and I knew exactly what had happened. <laughs> Right? Like, it wasn't, like, right. I had forgotten. <laughs> yeah. In some instances, right, there is a surrealism that takes place for detail, um, but not for memory as a whole, I think. And there, there's a line there. I, I just wanted, I just wanted people to be able to feel the trauma without seeing it. And I, and I think that gets back to not wanting to be, like, cannibalized by the trauma narrative right like to put up um, like you can't have it all uh, because I know you want it yeah because it's really uncool that you want it (laughs) Uh, so I think that was some of it some of it was like a protection of family Um, and even if I'm not really protecting the family at all it was a gesture like a rhetorical gesture um and sometimes I think that makes all the difference. Yeah. Nobody's protected in it, but like the, it's that gesture of protection that I think was most valuable to my sister. Um, and in my new work, I think the surrealism is not a wall um, or in lieu of memory in any way. I think the surrealism in the new work is um, about like an imagined space, right? That is just better for trans people. So it's it's a new mode of me using surrealism. Um, it's imaginative and like colorful. The the next book started as Ekphrasis. So it's just, it was in conversation with the paintings of Hernan Voss, which are like really, really colorful queer spaces where there are all these like beautiful twinks running around in the woods. And I was like, ooh, I wanna, I wanna be like that. <laughs> um, so, and that's how that book was born. And that's where that surrealism comes from. The color of the, the color of the paintings and those bodies running around. So two very separate modes of surrealism. Yeah. One is hiding and one or or obscuring. Like intentionally obscuring. And then one is just imagining. And I don't know if you've 
said it yet on our podcast, so I do want to say your book that's coming out in March 2020 is called All the Gay Saints. All the Gay Saints, yeah. Yeah, and what press Great title. Great title. I I googled the title. I was like, this is the title I want. And then I googled it. I was like, somebody's got to have it. Right. No. (laughs) So good. Yeah, so it's it's coming out at Saturnalia mm-hmm. on March fifteenth awesome. of twenty twenty. Yeah, and then um, the the year after that, I'll have another book coming out with Copper Canyon. Very cool. Uh, Water I won't touch. Yeah. Line them up. Line them up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just normal. Yeah. Just being normal. The third book. <laughs> um, well, I want to talk a little bit about form, mm-hmm. and in what runs over. Um, white space being used in really unique ways to create breath, which is actually something that you said earlier in our interview. Um, And it is kind of sporadic. It's not routinely patterned. Um, You choose not to title your pieces, so the book reads kind of cover to cover. And I'm curious what you're doing now, um, maybe why that served you and what runs over, and are there forms that you're embracing in your work um are your pieces now titled you know even what's yeah. the yeah I think when I started um the project in Ekphrasis all the gay saints the reason I did that I used Ekphrasis as um a mode to get away from the voice of what runs over okay. so after what runs over was like drafted out accepted um I just kept writing poems that I could have slipped in here, or like pages that I could have slipped in here. And that was not what I was interested in anymore, totally. So I I found like a mode um, to escape it, and it was those paintings. And the titles of his paintings are really, really long and like lush. Um, And so there'll be one title, and then there'll be a parenthesis, and it'll say or, and then we'll give it this like alternative title. So I started doing that. So the the titles in the second book are like quatrains long. (laughs) So yes, there are titles in the second book. And then the third book, uh, I'm writing like heroic crowns of sonnets and sestinas. um, Yeah, so like formal work. Very cool. No rhyme scheme, though. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I hope we all know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it'll come back in style, though. Yeah. Like bell bottoms. Surely. Just like exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) I am a pentameter with like rhymes. A, B, A, B. A, B, A, B. Yeah. Um, Well, we have one more question for you. Uh, We also wanted to know if you'd be willing to read us a poem, mini poem, just for our podcast, for our listeners. Yeah. Um... Our last... We, should we do the poem first? Poem okay, poem first. Okay. <clears throat> All right. This one's so sad. Hold on. Let me <laughs> a happy <laughs> one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> but you can re- read a happy one. <laughs> one geography of belonging. Dearest mother, what becomes of the girl no longer a girl? The stretch marks from my once breast have migrated to their new tectonic flats. But you can always find hints of what used to be. Trust me, it is more beautiful this way to look closely at my body and name it things like Pangea and history and so, so warm. Look at me now and you'll see how blood faithfully takes the shape of its body, never asking too many questions. Dearest mother, 
How many rivers did I run across your belly? Do you love that they will never dry up? Dearest mother, I'll make all this water worth it. Thank you so much. I'm more articulate in poems. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's what the paper's for, yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I'm slash and burn. Thank you so much for joining us yeah. and uh, reading us a poem. And um, looking forward to hearing from you later. Yeah. Cheers. Appreciate it. Very cool. Thanks for listening to the New Limestone Review Podcast. Formerly, I wanted to also ask about ghosts. Special thanks to the University of Kentucky's Department of English, our MFA faculty, the Visiting Writer Series, and to each of our contributors. New Limestone Review publishes monthly online issues and one yearly print issue. You can find more information about submitting and our guidelines on our website at newlimestonereview.as.uky.edu.